Turn to Romans 8, and we'll be in Romans 8, verses 3 to 8. Romans 8, 3 to 8. And what I want us to see in this, uh, these, this section of verses this morning is that because of God's work through Jesus Christ as applied by the Spirit, we now live differently. So because of God's work through Jesus Christ as applied by the Spirit, we now live differently. Uh, so I'll read for us Romans 8, verses 3 to 8. And then we'll pray. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let us pray. O great Father in heaven, we are so grateful for all of the grace that you have shown us this day. The grace that you have given to us in Christ Jesus, your only begotten Son, whom you gave for sinners and for sin. Oh, Father God, help us now as we come to your word to understand it, to believe it. Uh, Lord God, to, to see in it uh, all of your grace and glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you remember, as we're in the book of Romans, right, there is Therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the great opening statement of this chapter. Christ has set us free, verse 2 declares. But the question as we think of these things, and, and we see this answer uh, earlier than here in chapter 8, but as we're kind of going through and as Paul's making this argument, we might ask the question, well, how does God do this? How does Christ Jesus set us free? How do we no longer have condemnation? And so that's going to be our first question that I want us to address uh, today in verses 3 and 4 is who can do what needs to be done? Who can do what needs to be done in verses 3 and 4? And we get the answer right away, right? Verse 3 says, for God has done. For God has done. Who can do what needs to be done? God. For God has done. And the wrong answer is, right, who can do what needs to be done? Uh, as it comes to addressing our hostility between us and God, who can do what needs to be done as it comes to addressing the sin issue that we have, who can do what it needs to be done in order to uh, grant to us eternal life? The wrong answer is the law, right? The law of Moses is, is what we have in view here, what Paul is talking about here when he says, for God has done what the law could not do. The law could not do. The law of Moses could not do what needed to be done. Indeed, he's already pointed out this reality in Romans 7, 7 to 9. He says, uh, he writes, uh, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. 
But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. Right? The law isn't sin. And Paul argues that the law is actually holy and righteous and good. The commandment is good. The problem is not the law, but the law could never do, it was not designed to do, what we needed it to do. Save us, deliver us, make righteous people out of us. And why is that? Why is it that the law could not do these things? Well, Paul tells us here in in verse 3 of chapter 8, right? For God has done with the law weakened by the flesh. The law is weakened by the flesh. It is not a deficiency in the law of Moses that it could not do what it need, what we needed to do. The deficiency is in us. The weakness is in us. Our flesh, that is who we are, is uh, our human nature is so corrupted by sin that the holy, righteous, and good law of God could do nothing to change our natural disposition. And instead, in the law, we only have condemnation. Right? That's what Paul is dealing with in Romans 7 that I, that I read for us there, is that sin, sin came alive when the commandment was made known. Right, I, I, I didn't really have any idea what it meant to covet, but as soon as I heard, do not covet, sin came alive and said, oh, don't covet? That's the very thing I want to do. Let me do that. Right? Sin came alive. So it takes, the, the law could not do. In the law, we only have condemnation. And so it takes the Almighty God to intervene. And how did he intervene, right? For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. How did God intervene? By sending his own son. By sending his own son. He sent his own son, Jesus. And how did he send Jesus? Did he send Jesus as a conquering king? Did he send him with a host of uh, angels to attend him and to fight for him? You know, he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And note there that's important, that it says in the likeness of sinful flesh. Uh, Jesus came as a human, right? He was born. Uh, he, uh, Philippians 2, seven says, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. But Jesus himself was not sinful. He was born in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he was not. He did not have sinful flesh. So Jesus, God gave his son, Jesus, in the likeness of man and for sin, it says here, and for sin. He came as a sacrifice. He came to expiate our sin, to pay for our sin, to be our propitiation for our sin. That is to bear the wrath of God for our sin. He came to atone for our sin. All these, all these uh, words, all these descriptors are important to our understanding of what Jesus did when he came for sin. He didn't come to just say, you know, sin's not really a big problem. I'm just going to overlook it. Sin's, sin's not really this big deal. I'm just going to ignore it. He came and he paid the penalty of sin. He came to defeat sin, not to make nice with it. 
He came to war against it and its corrupting effects. To what end? Well, verse 4 tells us, right? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And remember Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 7. Matthew 5, sorry, 5, 17. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Right? Jesus didn't come and say, the law is wrong and rotten. He came to fulfill the law because the law is good and holy and righteous. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to destroy sin. He came and fulfilled the law. He came and fulfilled all righteousness. And how is it fulfilled in us? So we might ask that question, right? Because in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Well, we get a hint of that at the end of verse 4. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So for us who are in Christ Jesus, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as, as Savior, then you can walk in such a way as to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. It is not your as though you are not saved by such walking, but because of Christ's work, and because of the imputed righteousness of Christ, that is, uh, God declaring us righteous based on Christ's work, you can now live differently. You must now live differently. And in you, the righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled. Because you walk according to the Spirit not according to the flesh. And that leads us to these next verses and the next question. What do you walk according to? What do you walk according to? In verses 5 to 8, what do you walk according to? Verse 5 tells us, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And now Paul here gives us a dichotomy, right? Two options. On one side we have the flesh, and on the other side we have the spirit. We have two kinds of people. And understand that there are only two kinds of people. Those who walk according to the flesh, and those who walk according to the spirit. Those whose mindset is that of the flesh, and those whose mindset is that of the spirit. And we might have to, uh, and we ought ask the question, well, what does that entail? What does this mean? What does this look like? To walk according to the flesh or to walk according to the spirit? Uh, because if we're talking... If we're saying, right, especially as we get down to verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If our, if we are, um, if we want to be sure that we have eternal life, if we want to be sure that God is not going to cast us into the fires of hell, we had better get this question right. What do you walk according to? You better be able to answer this question uh, with with the assurance of the Scripture. So how can you check yourself? How can you know this? Well, uh, the book of Galatians is a is a help in this, and that it lays out these two mindsets, these two uh, directions, uh, quite uh, succinctly. So we'll look at that in Galatians five, 
19 to 21, Galatians 5, 19 to 21. So first we'll describe uh, what the flesh looks like and then we'll describe what the spirit looks like. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. And you might turn there because we will spend um, a little bit longer there. Starting in verse 19. <clears throat> now the works of the flesh are evident. Sorry, Paul is saying here that the, the works of the flesh are evident. And I would just have to pause here and say, the works of the flesh are evident in our day, right? It's easy to see. We can, we, if we are honest, right? If we're honest, and I say that in the sense of, um, if we're not in, and trying to be kind, uh, push away some of those sinful things, right? If we're going to be honest and say, these are indeed, uh, acts of the flesh, works of the flesh, they're evident. Uh, now the works of the, going back to Galatians. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right, so the works of the flesh are evident. And again, if we're honest, as we look around us in our culture, in our community, we see these things, right? The, these are common things that we see. Uh, now we may ask and say, well, sorcery, do, do we see sorcery? I know I joke sometimes about healing crystals. You may hear me joke about that, but they're actually quite serious. It's a quite serious problem. There are people who who genuinely believe that by holding a gem, and you, you can go to Walmart and see these kinds of things, right? That by holding this gem, by keeping it on a necklace on you, that you will be purified or that you'll be protected or that you'll feel better or, or all, all this kind of stuff, right? Or if you burn, uh, this was kind of more recent of an uh, uh, thing to arise is, issue of like essential oils. If you just take these essential oils, you, you'll never have cancer. And what's the point in that? Is it true that those essential oils will uh, ward away cancer? Probably not, right? There, there's not science to say that, right? There's not evidence to prove that. But So what do those become? They're little bits of sorcery, right? So we're going back into the past and saying, let's find these uh, these magic potions and let's put them all together and say, well, this is this is it. This is what's going to keep us from cancer. So don't think, right, th those are subtle ways because we're a very um, rational, irrational culture. And I do I do mean to say both of those. We're a rational, irrational culture. Uh, we, we do tend towards scientific reasoning, but we see these little hints of even something like sorcery. But to go on to the others, right? Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of angles, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Doesn't that typify our culture right now? Uh, when you look at things on social media, when you hear the discussion, when it comes to politics, that's where we're at. And these are works of the flesh. Why are they works of the flesh? Because they arise out of sin, right? They arise out of uh, satanic influence. They're not befitting the kingdom of God. And so Paul writes to the Galatians, right? 
I warned you, I warn you now, and I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So come back to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. Keep your finger in Galatians. Just stay in Galatians. Um, but, but Romans chapter 8 tells us, right, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Right? And these are the things that Paul addressed earlier in his letter. If we go back to Romans chapter 1, right? Romans chapter 1 verse 32, for instance, tells us that though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And we have to kind of ask the question, do, do the people who practice these works of flesh understand that they deserve to die? Right, that they understand that God's judgment will come upon them for doing evil? And the answer is, to some degree, yes. Right? There needs to be further instruction. There needs to be further understanding. But to some degree, yes, all persons understand something of their sin. But as Paul says there in Romans uh, chapter 1, they suppress the truth and God gives them over to their sin. So it's not as though they don't know, but they are blind. So they need to hear the gospel. So the person who sets their mind on the things of flesh, they set their minds on worldly things, right? They set their minds on the things that satisfy their flesh. Why do we like dissension? Because it satisfies our flesh, right? It satisfies our sin. I'm right, you're wrong. And I'm going to shout it until, I'm going to shout that at you until you get it, until you get angry, until you give up, right? Whatever it takes. Those who set their minds on the things of the flesh set their minds on things which further their selfish pleasures. They do not deny self. They embrace self. What then does the person who sets their mind on the, this, on the things of the Spirit look like? Well, again, go back to Galatians 5. Galatians 5 and verses 22 and 23. Right? We know this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Right? The, these are Spirit-produced qualities. These are Spirit fruit. These are countercultural. These are self-sacrificing, right? Uh, these these are who God is. So again, what's the mindset of the spirit? The mindset of the spirit is who God is, His character, uh, what He does, what He says, who He is, and the fruit of the spirit is is these things. If you are in Christ. There should be evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. Because you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. So these are the things that motivate you. These are the things in which you walk according to. And when we talk about this issue of setting our minds, what does it mean to set our minds? It's not just that we think about these things, right? That may be what our first thought is. That this is just what preoccupies our thoughts. No, it's more than that. When we're talking about setting our minds on these things, whether it be of the flesh or of the spirit, we're talking about what is our worldview. 
What is our perspective? How do we order our lives? When we talk about worldview, what do I, what do I mean by that? Well, for instance, if we have a negative worldview, say we have a very pessimistic worldview, we interpret everything in our life through that lens of negativity, right? So we go to, to the uh, restaurant, and this is a real-world example. We go to the restaurant. I say that because I've seen this. Right? We go to the restaurant, we order, you get your meal, and just one thing's wrong. They miss one thing. Uh, you didn't want lettuce on your burger, and they put lettuce on it. This is the worst meal I've ever had. I hate this. They put that on there just to irritate me. I told them no lettuce, and they put that on there because they just said, I want you to have a crappy day, so I'm going to put lettuce on your burger. You told me no lettuce, I'm going to give you lettuce. Ha, ha, ha. This funny joke. It's on you. Right? So, so we have a very negative interpretation of what has happened. Or for instance, right, the more so when it comes to people, Someone we, we maybe don't know well, or maybe someone know, we know very well, uh, does something that we don't understand. We don't have the context to what they said. Uh, they say something to us we don't understand, or they do something, uh, and, and we take offense to it. We say, well, why did you do that? And if we have a very negative worldview, we'll think, they did that to attack me. They're trying to get at me. They're, they're here to get me. Now, what's the problem with that worldview? For instance, uh, uh, the lettuce on the burger, right? What's the problem with that kind of worldview? Well, it could be maybe it just wasn't keyed into the system, right? And so it went back to the cooks. They didn't know that you didn't want lettuce. And so that it's just a, a human error, not a personal attack. It wasn't here to ruin your day. It was just a human error. Maybe that issue of someone saying or doing something that we don't understand Maybe that's the issue right there. We don't understand why they did it. It's not has nothing personal to it. Um, maybe they didn't even consider that uh, it would affect us in any manner. And it's not because they were being selfish and uh, didn't think that far, but maybe they just didn't know it would affect us in that manner. So there's no maliciousness against it. Maybe it's just stupidity. They didn't know. Ignorance. Now, if we have a positive worldview, right, we might see that, right? Uh, or if we have a positive worldview, we get our burger and there's pickles on it. Instead of saying, well, this is the, my burger, throw it out. I don't want it. It's got pickles on it. And even if you remove the pickles, it'll still have that little residue of juice and that's just ruins it, right? You know, instead of like thinking in that way, maybe a very optimistic worldview would be like, you know, this isn't my preferred. Uh, but you know, it does add a little bit of different taste and texture that, uh, that I don't normally get. I, you know, it's not too bad. I'm grateful to have, to have had pickles on my burger today. Right? That's a, sim- a silly explanation. Um, but, but maybe we become, uh, right? We, we interpret things through a positive lens. It was a positive, uh, outcome after all. Well, what do these opposing worldviews of flesh and spirit produce? So the, that, that's pessimism and optimism. But what do we talk about when we're talking about flesh and spirit? Well, Paul goes on to tell us, uh, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. That's what, that's what this, that's what's at, uh, at risk or at stake. And this is what it produces. 
but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. The mind of flesh is set on death. And, and again, we might ask why. Because the mind set on the flesh is set on the things of death. The mind of flesh is set on sin. And Paul writes earlier in this book, right? It's a verse we know well, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The way of flesh is the way of death. The way of this world is the way of death. So let's continue to track what Paul says about this mindset of the flesh, and then we'll go back and circle back and talk about the mindset of the spirit, what it produces. But I want us to see verses 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are set on the fleshly things, sinful things, are set on things hostile to God. And remember and realize that the law matters. God's commands matter. Regardless of if if we're saved or not, obedience to God matters. We are God's creatures, and as such, we are created to be obedient to Him. And we have an obligation, a requirement to be obedient to Him. Obedience to God is a requirement for all his creatures, and the mindset on the flesh can never meet the righteous requirement of the law. It cannot, it does not submit to God's law, right? It, indeed, it cannot. This, our sinful human nature is such is that we will never surrender, never submit to God and his law. We can't do it. That'll be important as we come to our, our member class, as we look at the article of man's nature. Does man have the capacity on his own of obedience to God? Does he have a natural capacity to be obedient to God? That's an important question. That's an important theological question. That's, an, that's a question that we have to get the right answer to. Because it affects everything. And if we could, by our own obedience, meet the righteous requirement of the law, why did Christ come? Why did God send his son? Right, so all these things are interconnected. But as Paul argues here, the mind that is whose worldview is this, this world the flesh, the sin, the selfish desires, the mind that is consumed with these things, whose every thought passes through the filter of, does this please me, can never submit to God's law and can never please God. And again, we ask, does that matter? Absolutely. Right? Because it's the difference between life and death. Right. Uh, we we look here. What is the mindset of the spirit? Go back up um, to verse six. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Right. So so what does the mindset of the spirit produce? 
life and peace. Eternal life and peace with God. Through the walking according to the Spirit, we can please God. The righteous requirements of the law can be fulfilled. Those who set their minds on the Spirit receive these good things. James 1.12 tells us, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. At the crown of life, eternal life. So we stand the test. We remain steadfast under trial. And we do that because of the Spirit at work in us. Which brings us to what we do with this passage. And I would ask you, how do you walk? And what does the way that you think, the way that you talk, and the way that you do things, what, what things you do, how do those things give evidence to how you pattern your life? And what I mean by that is, what do you set your mind on? And how does the way that you live, what is the fruit of your life that proves that? Because we all want to say, right, I set my mind on the things of the Spirit. I want life and peace. That's what I want. It's easy to say that. But do we have evidence to that? Can we look at the sum of our life and say, I see the work of the Spirit in me. I see love, joy, peace in me. I see, uh, I see the things of God in me. Remember, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is only because of what God has done. right? Go back to the first question. Who can do what needs to be done? Only God can do what needs to be done. What God has done is give us His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, for sin, that we may have eternal life. It is because of God's work through Christ Jesus as applied to us by the Holy Spirit that there is now no longer any condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And the only way we will ever have eternal life and peace with God is through Jesus' work on the cross. And it is through this work that, that we can have a life that is different than the world around us. A life that is transformed. That is how we live differently and when we are saved by god here's the reality right when we talk about setting our minds on these things it's not just an action that we do it's not just a determination we make it's something that god imparts into us through his spirit and when we are saved by god our mindset changes it has to and understand that there are people who who say they are saved whose mindset has never changed And the proof of that is they've never been saved. Because when we are saved, what we value changes. What motivates us changes. Now, in saying all this, it doesn't mean that we suddenly no longer sin. right? I'm not arguing that. Paul doesn't argue that. Again, go back up right to Romans 7. And he says, For when I want to do good, evil lies close at hand. And I believe Paul is talking about his experience As a Christian, as he is writing this letter to the church in Rome, he is saying, when I want to do good, even now, as I sit here and I know all these things, 
Paul, who writes this argument, this great and glorious argument about the gospel, what the gospel is and what it means, Paul, who is writing this, says, when I want to do good, evil lies close at hand. When I want to do what I want to do for the glory of God, I do the very thing I don't want to do. And when I don't do the thing, when I, when I don't want to do the thing, I do it. When I do the thing and I don't want to do it, blah, blah, blah. I'm getting a little confused there. What Paul says, right? What Paul argues is not that we never sin again. But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The great difference is, is though we struggle with the old man and the old way of life. That's the key. We struggle. We put it to death. Right? That's what Paul will uh, call us to here in a little while in, in chapter 8 of Romans. And though these things sometimes surface again, they don't captivate us the way that they used to. But if you seek the things of this world, and if you seek to pattern your thoughts and speech and life after this world, understand that you do not please God, and you don't have life and peace. You have death. You, you have the things and you seek after the things that bring the second death, eternal judgment. But if you turn to Christ Jesus, if you repent of your sins and seek God, you will be saved. If you believe in Christ Jesus, God's only begotten Son, and the work He did in dying for sin, you will be saved. So turn to Christ today. And then let the things of God, the mindset of the Spirit, change how you live now. Let's pray. Oh, great Father in heaven, we, we cannot express enough. Uh, Father, we, we truly cannot express enough our thanks, our praise for that great work of grace you have done towards us, uh, towards us sinners towards us who have rebelled against you. For while we were yet sinners, you sent your son Jesus to die for us. While we rebelled against you, you pursued us in love. While all we wanted was death, you gave us life and peace. And so, Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we glorify your name this morning. And we pray, Lord God, that whatever sinful things that we have been seeking after, Father, whatever patterning after this world that we have done this week, that you would forgive us of it. And Lord God, that you would by your Spirit create in us the fruit of the Spirit. And Father, by your Spirit, you would be at work in us both to will and to work for your good pleasure. And we know that in in your pleasure is our good. In your glory is our good. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And you invite us there, not because we are worthy, not because we have earned it, but because of your great love towards us in Christ Jesus. So Lord, have mercy, show grace, and give us the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. Be glorified in us, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen.